Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They're foisting these terrible decisions that nobody wants on the body politic. So you're going to see more and more of your stakeholders get more and more upset. They are eventually going to find each other thanks to social media and slowly but surely, they are going to encircle your company with pressure for some sort of corporate ethics stance. This is Tom Fox. That was Matt Kelly as we discuss the impact of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade on corporate America, and specifically the compliance professionals in corporate America. This is a significant issue. I hope you will listen. I know you will learn something from it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Matt Kelly back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Somewhat somber today as we are going to take up the Dobbs decision, the end of Roe v. Wade. So, Matt, um, I have to say welcome, but it's certainly not uh, a very good day or topic for America. Uh, No, it is not. I think we could probably talk for many hours or days about just how this is a terrible decision. It's a disgrace to the court and... uh, for all of our listeners, this is really going to be a compliance nightmare for you guys, too. So uh, rather than engage, as you said, in a lengthy discussion of how we think this decision is wrong, uh, maybe we could um, point out some of the compliance challenges and then see if there's some things we could suggest the compliance professional, the CCO, uh, take up now. So uh, you've laid out in your blog post entitled Roll Falls, Compliance Programs Brace. Uh, what do you see as some of the immediate challenges from the compliance or even greater corporate uh, leadership perspective? Oh, I think there are going to be a lot. And uh, you're right, Tom, that maybe we could start with some of the more mundane uh, policy challenges companies are going to have to figure out as a sort of a warm-up to the bigger issues around corporate ethics and governance that absolutely are going to be coming for C-suites and boards, I think, very soon. Uh, Probably the most immediate thing for compliance officers, HR functions, legal teams, you're going to need to figure out how do you want to respond to this. Um, We have all seen over the weekend all of these companies that are immediately rushing to say that they will cover 
travel costs for employees who might need to go now to from a red state to a pro-choice state uh, to be able to get an abortion if that's what they want. And, you know, I was listening to that and my very first thought was, well, how are you going to prove that the employee isn't defrauding the company? And I mean, there are many more issues, but that was the one I latched on to first is that how would you document this process? It's easy to promise, and we could talk about some of the companies that have promised this, but how would you know that the employee in question is pregnant? Are you going to ask her for a pregnancy test? Are you going to ask her for an ultrasound? Are you going to ask her how far along she is? Uh, if you offer family plans to employees, what if the person who's pregnant isn't your employee but is the employee's daughter? You know, you've got a male employee who's on a family plan at your company in a red state and his 16-year-old daughter wants an abortion. Are you going to cover that too? Are you not? Uh, what if she wants it, but it's uh, not necessarily with her parents' consent, which is legal still in some states. It's, I believe it's legal in Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, we could go on and on about how are you going to document the true need for this? Um, there are going to be a lot of policies that you'll have to think about. It's going to be a lot of documentation that in theory you would need in practice. Now we've got a whole other can of worms. How are you going to keep that private? If you have an employee in Alabama who wants an abortion, would you then maybe have them seek permission from a supervisor in California or New York or Massachusetts or some other pro-choice state, um, but not in a forced birth state like uh, Alabama or Texas? What if you don't have any presence in those states, even though you're promising to fly them to the pro-choice states for a procedure? Uh, how are you going to keep this data private? What if you have an HR manager in Texas who oversees uh, normally that kind of data that the Alabama employee would have had? Um, are you going to keep the data in Massachusetts so it can't be turned over to Texas or Alabama? Are you going to tell your manager in Texas you can't look at that data? Only managers in Massachusetts and New York can do that. How are you going to keep all that private? Um, and we could go on and on and on. But, Tom, I think, you know, the, the implication here is pretty clear that we've got a lot of policies that we will need to think through on a very state-by-state -state patchwork uh, thing uh, basis. It's going to be very difficult on how will you manage this legally? How will you manage the privacy of it? How will you manage uh, the procedure to claim this benefit that you're offering? Um, I mean, I'll stop there, but like we could literally go on all week with these what-if scenarios. So let me uh, pick up on uh, some of the things I think uh, compliance officers can and should do now. Um, first of all, uh, really assess what your company's risk appetite is going to be. Are they going to state publicly uh, their position on this? Uh, in your blog post, you cited several companies that have publicly stated their position and said they would pay for travel costs. Uh, do you have a social media policy around this? Does that uh, impact your internal Slack channels or others? Um, Facebook apparently banned the discussion of this internally. Uh, my wife's company uh, did not, so it was a, a large amount of discussion last week. Uh, what can you even down to the, uh, what can you wear to the office? Do you have a policy around T-shirts, buttons, other indications of issue or political support? Uh, what are you going to do if there's 
a dispute. Uh, how are you going to handle that? Will that could that lead to uh, disciplinary actions? Uh, one of the things that uh, you made clear in your blog post was the need to have wide variety or, or cross-functional response to this. Obviously, HR, compliance, um, legal, uh, IT, um, maybe even uh, accounting or financial component uh, to this really needs to sit down and manage this new risk which literally popped up on us Friday. Um, and you're going to have to think through and, and put some policies in place. On state laws, you're going to have to assess literally 50 state laws. If you're a multinational or a multi-state company, uh, do you sell into the state of Texas even if you don't have physical facilities here? Does that give you a uh, state of Texas jurisdiction over you? Uh, open questions at this point. Um what about um, the, and maybe taking a step back, and what's leadership going to do? And like I said, I know in your blog post you you stated some companies that have taken the lead in this, but is leadership fully going to support the right of women to choose, or is it going to be we're going to say nothing except forced birth? And what are the hiring and retention implications for that? Uh, is that a risk that now that needs to be reported uh, under SEC regulations uh, around management of human capital? Uh, at this point, I don't pretend to know the answers to some or any of these questions, but I know there are questions that uh, I've had going forward. Uh, where, where do you see this going, I guess, now? You know, before we even get into some of the leadership and governance issues, I would like to talk about um, we have a whole other separate can of worms here that I think people haven't really talked about yet, which is potential discrimination complaints from female employees. So let's go back to my hypothetical pregnant employee in Alabama or Mississippi or Oklahoma or Texas or any other forced birth state now. So she's pregnant. She wants an abortion. And lo and behold, there's a business conference coming up that she normally would attend in Texas, uh, not in Texas, in California or New York or Massachusetts. What if she flies on business expense to go to a business event in a blue state and while she's there, she gets an abortion? So has she defrauded the company? Um, if she has, or even if she hasn't, are you going to cooperate in an investigation with her? Could you adopt a policy saying we're not going to send a pregnant employee to a business event in a pro-choice state when we normally would if she weren't pregnant? Because is that a discrimination issue? Um, would you maybe tacitly say we're only going to send male employees to these events? Because that very clearly seems to me like sex discrimination. If the employee were male, she would get to go, but she's female and pregnant, so she's not. Now, a lot of companies here in the C-suite, we might say, oh, well, we're never going to do that. Are you sure that all of your local managers across the country have understood that and understand how they're supposed to respond to day-to-day -day requests from employees to travel around the country? Uh, what if you have a blue state employee in a pro-choice state who now you want to transfer her to Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama or Mississippi or some other forced birth state? Could she decline that? Uh, could you compel her? Either you make the move or you're fired. Because would that be a discrimination complaint? Because if it were a male employee, he would not suffer any real harm because he can't get pregnant. 
would you have to give the female employee something more because you're making her give something up, her right to bodily autonomy? So is that a compensation thing? Are you going to give her a clause that she'll be able to fly back to get an abortion if she wants? What if she's not pregnant at all, but she's 23 and she's got 15 or 20 more years of reproductive uh, viability in her body? How are you going to extend this promise for the entire length of her employment with you? So, Tom, we could go on and on. I do think there are some very interesting civil rights implications here that some companies, I suspect, will inadvertently, accidentally, because your local manager doesn't know what they're doing, they're going to wind up engaging in sex discrimination or pregnancy discrimination. Um, and I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but I know you're not a, necessarily a civil rights lawyer, but anybody who's well-versed in Title VII, I would love to hear your thoughts on how this could or couldn't become a great big mess, because it looks like a mess to me. Pregnancy discrimination by its very nature is sexual discrimination, uh, because yep. there's only one of us genders who can get pregnant. So uh, I've always thought that was uh, one of the, the key basis of um, uh, discrimination. The other uh, thing I've been thinking about, Matt, is the following. And once again, you touched on this in your blog post. I tried to as well. Is what are a compliance officer's obligations to follow law, uh, whether that be local law and a corruption law in countries outside the United States or local law in a state in America, where we believe that law is not only unjust and unreasonable, but not one that uh, that we support. Um, do compliance officers have either an ethical obligation to follow laws? Do we have an ethical duty to um, try to overturn unjust or unfair laws? Uh, I've been trying to think of an example, and, and really the, the one that keeps coming back to me is the civil rights era from the 60s. Uh, where we mm-hmm. had, um, obviously, uh, massive resistance uh, and nonviolent uh, resistance, which directly led to uh, the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1964 and uh, the change in the Constitution around uh, uh, elimination of the poll tax, which was used to keep uh, blacks and other minorities from voting. Uh, do we... How do we begin to maybe think through that if if you think that's a, uh, either an internal conversation that CCO should have or a debate within a compliance function at an organization? I think those are excellent questions. Now, let me try to avoid them uh, because I think a lot of compliance officers is just listening to what you're speculating about and listening to all the hypotheticals I've been bringing up where uh, basically the company you will need to have an answer for all of these scenarios because they are absolutely going to happen. I suspect a lot of compliance officers might privately be thinking, that's a question above my pay grade. I don't really want to be the one enacting policy or adopting policy, certainly not without the CEO or the general counsel or the board's input. Well, yes, exactly. That's the bigger issue here, I think. I would step back and say, let's remember what has really happened with the Dobbs decision and overturning Roe versus Wade. The Supreme Court, by doing so, has created space for this big brother, the state, to insert itself in a woman's thoughts about what is she going to do with her reproductive rights. So now we have the woman and the big brother, the government. Well, 
all of these companies now rushing to say, we will support female employees and we'll fly them out, or we're going to help you relocate from Texas to California, no questions asked. Look, yeah, that's nice. That's great. But really, yeah, that's nice. the company is creating its own countervailing big brother to provide some sort of a shield to the state big brother. So there are two big brothers jostling against each other, one trying to reach into the woman's decisions, one trying to keep the other big brother at bay. Well, that begs the question, what are the ethical priorities of this corporate big brother? Uh, because that's going to be matter a lot to a lot of organizational stakeholders, your employees, your customers, your consumers out in the public wondering if they want to do business with you, your shareholders, your big institutional investors. They're going to want to know, why is the company adopting these policies? Now, I don't think a compliance officer should decide them on your own. I absolutely think this is something the board has to figure out. This is something the CEO has to determine. But that's very much rooted in what are the company's moral values? What are its ethical priorities? And now suddenly we're going to get into some very sticky situations because a lot of these companies that are so nobly saying, we will support women and we'll fly you out and we'll give you $4,000 stipends at the same time. They are also supporting Republican officials who are enacting every forced birth piece of legislation they can find. They are the ones who stacked the court with these right-wing justices who have no clue how the modern world works. And they are foisting these laws upon a population that doesn't want them. Well, you can't have it both ways. Or if you are a company trying to have it both ways, supporting Republicans and then also paying for employees to fly to pro-choice states, you're just burning shareholder money at both ends. And what is the point of this? And I think a lot of institutional investors and employees and shareholders are going to start to pipe up and say, what are you doing? I think a great example of this is J.P. Morgan, because Jamie Dimon, the CEO there, he was one of the very first to say, J.P. Morgan will cover employees' travel expenses to get reproductive care at a pro-choice state. Great. Nice work, Jamie Dimon. However, at the same time, in the 2020 election cycle, J.P. Morgan's political action committee donated $350,000 to Republican candidates. They've donated another $57,000 to Republican candidates now. Now, And that's not even the worst of it, Tom, is there are many different large companies out there, AT&T, uh, Coca-Cola, T-Mobile, and CVS, Comcast, Walmart, they have been donating millions of dollars to Republican candidates over the last four years or so. I have a little chart on a blog post. I've done this. So they've been donating millions of dollars to Republican candidates. I know that they are not supporting Republicans specifically to enact forced birth across the country, but you can't disentangle the two. If you report, if you support Republican causes for tax breaks, which is really what the companies want, by part and parcel of that, you are also supporting forced birth laws on your employees who don't want them. And then you're trying to spend even more money to paper over the mess that you helped Republicans create. That's going to be the corporate values battle that is coming. And I absolutely would bet my mortgage payment on shareholder resolutions trying to force a discussion about this, consumer boycotts over this, social media fights over this. And it is going to be a real squeeze for a lot of companies. They're going to have their ethical choices come into really fierce scrutiny. 
Um, I don't think compliance officers are responsible for that. They're not responsible for cleaning it up, but you're very much going to be in the eye of the hurricane when that lands on your company. And at a large company, that hurricane is coming. Like, who are we kidding? It's absolutely going to. So that's my corporate governance soapbox that I've been on. But I do think that this is uh, really going to be a very sticky thing. Uh, I'm going to move to the world of literature because I saw this as not The Handmaiden's Tale, but 1984. Well said. Let me move sure. to um, uh, not simply uh, corporate governance, but uh, down the road to the next set of basic human rights the Supreme Court will be next to overturn. Rights of uh, criminalization of gay lifestyle, removal of the ability of gay marriage, removal of the ability uh, to have interracial marriages, and do corporations and compliance officers need to start thinking about the next set of civil rights storms that uh, will occur under this Supreme Court? They, they probably won't like to have to think about it. They probably don't want to have to think about it. But for real, corporate America, do you think that keeping your head in the sand is going to improve your situation? Because who has not known for the last four or five years that, of course, this court was going to gut Roe versus Wade? Everybody knew that. And I don't necessarily want to turn this compliance podcast into a soapbox about modern Republican politics. But the fact is, Republicans will always go for the most extreme answer in social justice or social uh, social culture war issues. They absolutely are going to come for birth control next. They absolutely will go and try to overturn gay marriage. They absolutely will try to overturn rules about consensual sex among adults in their own private affairs. Uh, the only thing that I actually don't know that they will do is try and ban interracial marriage, but I would bet my house at least some of them are going to say that we should. It's going to be a state right thing. They absolutely are going to do this. So the more you pretend that this doesn't exist or that my company doesn't want to take political sides and wants to keep politics out of the corporate world, what planet do you live on? Your employees, your customers, your shareholders, they all live on Earth. They all live in the United States, and they are all very much immersed in these culture war issues that you know, because of Republicans you know, deliberately stacking the court with right-wing justices who are out to lunch about real Americans, as far as I can see, they're foisting these terrible decisions that nobody wants on the body politic. So you're going to see more and more of your stakeholders get more and more upset. They are eventually going to find each other thanks to social media and slowly but surely, they are going to encircle your company with pressure for some sort of corporate ethics stance. Now, there are going to be at least some companies out there that think this is great, Hobby Lobby being one. I suspect they've wanted Roe versus Wade to be overturned forever, and now they have it. Well, that's fine, but Hobby Lobby is the exception to the rule. Most large companies, they're going to have to deal with this. Most of their employees do not want to see the the issues that this unelected bunch of five right-wing justices and a sixth, Chief Roberts, who's kind of sort of just hanging out, collecting a paycheck, you know, that they are foisting these things on the American public. The American public are the ones who are your employees, and they very much are going to expect you, the company, to do something. And Tom, you and I have talked about this before. Every time the Edelman Trust Barometer comes out in January, surveying public trust in institutions, what is the one through line for year after year for the last five, six, seven years or so? 
that employees want their companies, and specifically their CEOs, to take stronger stands on divisive social issues because other governing institutions, such as the government, such as the church, such as media, seem not to be able to produce results. The only ones that are larger than them that can try and enact some sort of change successfully are corporations. So corporations, yeah, you're absolutely going to have to think about this. I don't care that you don't want to. Putting your head in the sand, look where it's got companies so far. You're all waking up today saying, oh, God, how are we going to make this work? It only gets worse from here. That seems like a good place to end this episode, Matt. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. Both Matt and I have blogged on this topic, and we've linked to our blogs in the show notes. The Compliance Into the Weeds will be taking off the week of July 4th, so our next episode will be the week of July 11th. I hope you will check us out then where we take another deep dive into a compliance topic on Compliance Into the Weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.